I'm so glad to be back with you. I've even brought a little bit of vacation back with me with a little bit of scruff, a little bit of post-vacation scruff. My mother doesn't like it. Kelly likes it, and her opinion is the only one that matters in this. I'm so glad that you're with us and that we get to be a part of this season as we are looking at the Gospel of John together. I want to begin today by telling you about June 12th, 1999. That was the day that Kelly and I got married. And right after we got married, we engaged in the game of planes, trains, and automobiles for our honeymoon. We immediately got on a plane and went to Milan, Italy. We jumped on a train to head over to Lake Como and to Venice. And then in Venice, we decided to be able to go towards Fiesole in Florence. But in order to do that, we wanted to have a car. Let me show you a picture of what I looked like back in June of 1999. And the car that's in question here is the Fiat Punto, which I have a feeling in Italian means a car that is so small you can punt it like a football. We squeezed all of our gear into the car and we began our journey and we immediately got turned around and lost. This was old school. We had one of those atlases that was only in Italian and you didn't have GPS or anything like that. And we got lost and had to come to the humiliating point of pulling over and just asking anybody for a little bit of help. And as we did that, Kelly ran into this individual and she started to ask him for directions. Now here was the problem. Kelly spoke very little Italian and this man spoke very little English. And he started to use gestures and what broken English he had to try to help us to get to our way. And then as he's describing it, and he's describing you're gonna go over the train tracks and you're gonna make a turn here. Kelly at this point is completely lost and she is just nodding and smiling because she is totally not remembering all of the detailed instructions that he's given. Then all of a sudden his face changed and he started shooing her back to the car and screaming at her, follow the autobus, follow the autobus. And she's telling him, as she's po- he's pointing to the bus that is heading down the street and he's telling us to get in the car and to stay right behind that bus and that that bus is going to take us to our destination. Sure enough, we uh, peeled out of that parking lot with the Fiat Punto and got right behind that bus and stayed directly behind that bus for miles. Didn't matter whether the bus stopped. When it stopped, we stopped. But it took us right to our destination. Listen, the primary invitation of the, the Gospels is Jesus saying, follow me. It's not primarily about following some sort of complicated instructions. It's not about following a map or some sort of detailed plan for your life. It's about following a person. It's way easier to follow the autobus than it is for us to be able to try to follow some sort of complicated design or instructions in a world where we are often lost and we don't feel like we speak the language or understand exactly what is going on. Jesus says that we get to follow him, and in doing so, we can be found. Well, we're in the midst of a series of lessons in the Gospel of John where we're talking about the impact of what it means to follow Jesus on our lives and how we get that life-giving belief and that that changes us, how we are no longer cynical, we are no longer empty, we are no longer religious, no longer ashamed, paralyzed, hungry, condemned, blind, and this week we are no longer lost. As we stay close to Jesus, 
who describes himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. Let's look at this passage together. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come out and go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What does it mean for you and I to not get lost by staying close to Jesus as our good shepherd? I mean, there's so many different dimensions of this beautiful multifaceted text, but I just wanna highlight for today, before we come to communion, I wanna highlight three things. I think that we're to know his voice, to share his life, and to trust his love. To know his voice, to share his life, and to trust his great love. So first, let's talk about knowing his voice. We see this in John chapter 10, where Jesus puts it like this. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, that they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. One of the things that you can see if you've actually gotten to participate in any of the Holy Land tours, every once in a while, you'll come across a group of sheep and a shepherd. And there's all kinds of different voices all over the place. And in spite of all of that, the sheep know exactly where to go, even if they're not looking up, because they know the voice of their shepherd. Part of what it means to follow Jesus and to be close to him is to recognize his voice, to know his voice, to stay close to his voice. I want to introduce you this morning to a guy by the name of Matt Vogel. Here is Matt Vogel, and he works uh, in the Disney Corporation, and he does a particular thing for this company. He is the voice of this famous, iconic character. Ever since 2017, he has become the voice of Kermit the Frog. Now, what's interesting about his story is that he started to get to know Kermit all the way back when he was eight years old. 
He was fascinated with things like the Muppets and with Sesame Street. And he began his journey even working with puppets when he was kind of in high school, was kind of a little side hustle to make some money in doing shows and puppet shows for preschoolers. He began his journey and took some acting classes and eventually got this opportunity to go after he had graduated from college to go into work for the Jim Henson Company. At this point, Jim Henson had already passed and now his son was in charge of the company. And so Matt Vogel got to know Jim's son really well and took on some other amazing and iconic roles and eventually over time got to the point where he became the most important voice in the Muppet industry. And that is he became the voice of Kermit the Frog. I was listening to a podcast interview of him recently, and he was talking about the journey of being that eight-year-old boy to the, to the voice of Kermit and everything in between. And he says that people really misunderstand. Uh, they ask him, like, how did you master the technique of the intonations and the imitations of Kermit's voice? And I'll never forget what he said. He said this. He said, it's not an impersonation. It's not an imitation but an embodiment of the character of Kermit himself. He says that Kermit has a persona just like all of us do. And that by the time he became the voice of Kermit, he felt like he knew Kermit just about as well as anybody could ever know Kermit. And so it wasn't so much about voiceover techniques. It was about getting to know Kermit himself and Kermit's family, not just the family of characters, but the Henson family. And he felt like that by the time he was invited to be able to share the voice of Kermit, he knew that voice almost better than anybody else. You and I might feel like that what we're supposed to do is to kind of read the Bible and to be able to parrot or to imitate the voice of Jesus. That is not the way that this works. There is a persona a literal person behind the voice of the words of the Bible. We get to know God intimately through those words. And after a lifetime of dreams and hopes and jobs, we feel like we're able to embody that voice of the Good Shepherd. And so the first step in following Jesus is to know his voice. The second step in not getting lost and staying close to the Good Shepherd is to share his life, to share in his life. Here's how he describes it in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is abundant life. What does this life look like? At the end of John chapter 10, he says it like this. He says, I give them what kind of life? eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You and I have been given not only the gift of life itself, but a life that's teeming with life, a life that lives on into everlasting, and that this perspective should change us. There's a business writer and kind of social scientist by the name of Simon Sinek who has written a book called The Infinite Game. And he says when he's looked at companies, you can kind of categorize them in two different ways. There are those who are playing the game with a finite mindset and with an infinite mindset. 
And in the contrast of these two different things, he says, is a very different way of doing business in reality. In other words, in a business, you might be saying, oh, well, we just sell seats on an airplane. Well, that's a finite mindset. An infinite mindset is to say, we're helping people to go and to realize their dreams and their relationships and their adventures. You'll never achieve that infinite mindset. That's a very different frame of reference from which to do what you do. Another example he provides is this. Let's get more specific. You know what this item is that we're putting up on the screen right now. This is the Swiss Army Knife. And it's made by a company called Victorinox. This company, pre-9-11, 95% of its business was selling knives. Well, stop and think about pre-9-11, what happened in 9-11. All of a sudden, when we used to get on airplanes, you could no longer actually carry a pocket knife with you anymore. And so immediately that business and that industry turned and all of their sales began to plummet. Now what's interesting about the Victorinox company is that they were prepared for this moment. First of all, they were prepared in the sense of that they had saved a significant amount of money in rainy day funds if for any moment they needed to retool the company. And so in addition to that saving, they also had a huge commitment to their employees. They didn't lay off a single person on the heels of 9-11. And instead, they challenged the company to rethink its business. In doing so, they went from primarily selling knives to selling a whole variety of different kind of products. Now knives only make up about a third of their business. And they're twice as profitable today as they were pre-9-11. The CEO of the company put it best when he, he said this. He said, we don't think in quarters, we think in generations. And when I read this, my mind popped. Here was a leader of a company that wasn't just thinking about what was the next quarter's earnings going to be. It was how can we be faithful with what we've been given for generations to come. If a company can think in terms of the long haul, the infinite game, what do you think that would mean for a follower of Jesus? We've been invited into an infinite kind of eternal and everlasting life. And that ought to shape the way that we go about our business. We ought to have an eternal framework when we talk about a conversation with one of our neighbors. We ought to have an eternal and infinite mindset when we're dealing with conflict with our spouse. We ought to have an infinite mindset when we're figuring out how to love our children, how to care for our employees, how to be able to care for the community and the poor. We have an infinite mindset with that that doesn't make us complacent. In fact, it fuels us for the greatest amount of good that we can do with what God has given to us. You and I are the kind of people that have been invited into eternal life. We get to share in that eternal invitation of Jesus. And that's a whole different mindset in which to live. How do you follow the good shepherd? You know his voice. 
You share his kind of life, eternal life. And thirdly, you trust his love. Here's how Jesus puts it in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. No doubt that this last year has been a challenging season. In fact, in fact, it was kind of a year ago this week where everything began to unravel and close up from the pandemic. We've kind of hit the milestone of this anniversary time. And I've been revisiting one of the books that I read earlier this year um, on the pandemic of 1918 and even learned some of the similarities as, as difficult as this has been, how much even more challenging it was a century ago. And how that even in 1918, many people lost their sense of smell. What a strange symptom of the great influenza 100 years ago. But there have even been more challenging, more deadly seasons of disease and plagues. One of them was in 1527 for Northern Europe, and it was the bubonic plague. There's an important religious and Christian figure by the name of Martin Luther who lived right in the heart of this disease. Here's the famous picture of Martin Luther with a, a mask on. Martin Luther was one of the most famous religious leaders of his time, and he was asked when the bubonic plague hit, he was asked specifically whether or not Christians should stay or whether or not Christians should flee. And Martin Luther, in maybe one of his most famous impactful tracks in terms of how it shaped behavior, talked about what Christians ought to do in the pandemic. He wrote this, we die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. This was not merely an academic question for Martin Luther. His first daughter, Elizabeth, died at nine months of age because of the bubonic plague and the fact that they decided to stay to care for the city of Wittenberg and to not abandon the people. When we talk about trusting in Jesus's love, it's not just that we trust that he did great things for us, which we do believe, of course, but that the nature of that self-sacrifice, that self-emptying, that that's the way to live. That we follow in his footsteps as he did that, we do that for others. We do it wisely, we do it well. We don't take unnecessary risks. But Christians throughout history have been the ones who didn't leave. Why didn't we leave? Because we're following Jesus. And Jesus is a good shepherd. So in sum, we do three things to follow him. We know his voice. We share his life. 
we trust his love. I don't know if you saw the news in the last couple of weeks of a fantastic little story about a sheep in Australia. I want to show you a picture here of uh, what this sheep looked like. This sheep was lost. It was abandoned by its shepherd. And this sheep had not been cared for for a long, long time. When they sheared this sheep and removed its fleece, it relieved 77 pounds of wool. And here is what the sheep looks like now. The Australian shepherd who found the sheep said that sheep were meant to be cared for. They needed to be tended. They needed to be loved. There were some great moments of memes floating around, one which had to do with recognizing the fact that the sheep, when it was covered with all that fur, had tried to be attacked by something they don't know what, but they could tell, and the sheep was so fluffy that the attacker couldn't get to it. There were memes floating around that said, you know, maybe you don't have to be fierce, you have to just be really, really, really fluffy. But the reality is, is that we were meant to be cared for. We were meant to follow in another's footsteps. We were meant to be groomed and loved. This is how we were meant. Meant to live. Meant to follow. And I can't help but wonder if that sheep is a little bit of an analogy of maybe you know what it's like to feel neglected uncared for. Maybe it's just that you haven't been to the barber for a whole year and you feel like you look like the sheep. But I think even more important is spiritually. Maybe the image of that fluffy sheep feels like you've been wandering for a long time and you're carrying a weight, a coat, and you haven't let God or the good shepherd care for you. I'm here to tell you that he wants to care for you that if you'll know his voice and you'll follow it, if you'll share in his kind of life, if you'll trust his kind of love, you can live differently. You can live eternally. And nothing and no one will snatch you out of his hand. He's the good shepherd. You can trust him. Let's pray infinite, eternal, and everlasting God. You invite us into the greatest kind of life possible, that we can follow you, not just rules, not just commands, not just decrees, not just instructions or maps. That's not really how life works. We just follow close behind you. Why? Because you're the good shepherd. And right now I pray for anybody who feels like they don't have anybody to follow. Or maybe like that sheep, they feel neglected and uncared for. Lord, I pray for anybody who needs to get to know your voice, to not just imitate it, but embody it. I pray for anybody who's playing a finite instead of an infinite game. I pray for the person who needs to know of your deep and loving sacrifice for us and that that's how we now should live in generosity for others. Thank you, God. You still are the good shepherd. 
we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.